Pastor Xavier Reese and the call to ministry for the long term. Paul was revealing to the Philippians, still 10 years after the inception and birth of the church, his shepherd's heart, his passion for God and the people of God. Everybody begins like that, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be as a father or a mother, whatever it is. The trick is to maintain and increase in life, passion, that commitment. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. As a child, how many times did you hear the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And hopefully, after many years of school and hard work, you have achieved your goal. But when is the last time someone asked you, not what do you want to be, but whom do you want to live for? Pastor Xavier poses that question as he traces the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's join him for today's Simple Truths, drawn from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, for a message titled, Christ Our Life. Paul says, to live as Christ means three things to him. These are good principles for us. Number one, to live in Christ means to be an instrument of God. Real simple, to be an instrument of God, verse 22. Secondly, it means to be in a spiritual dilemma, verse 23. For I am a hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now notice first, the dilemma is between living to be used by God or dying to be present with Christ. Paul describes this as, I am hard pressed between the two. He is referring to life being present in this world and death being present with Christ. Hard pressed means to hold together with consistent tension, a constraint. Tension keeps me balanced. When you go get your car aligned, it has equal tension balance on each side. When it's out of alignment, it drifts to one side or the other. Tension makes us strong. If you want to get strong, you lift weights so that there's tension. So it keeps me on the straight and narrow, and it makes me strong. The word is used of a traveler in a narrow path with a wall on both sides. Unable to turn either way, but only can go straight. Paul, as I have stated, saw life and death not as opposites in Christ. Keep that in mind. But different stages of the believer in Christ. Alive, Christ was working through Paul. Dead, Christ's likeness was brought about in Paul. That's what it means by gain. Personal gain. Once again, Paul, by implication, does not make the choice. Do you notice that? Who makes it? God does. Notice secondly here. The desire was to depart and be with Christ. Paul never denies his humanity. Do you notice that? I think too often as Christians we deny our humanity. Now, we can live above it, and we certainly do in the life of the Spirit. But our flesh is still there going, oh, wouldn't you like that? Oh, yeah, I would. But, you know, I mean, that's there. But we bring our thoughts into captivity. We say to our flesh, no. We do it to our children all the time. And the kid goes, little face, no. And the flesh sometimes gives us that face, come on, no. 
But you know what happened? We all, okay. Paul describes his longing here for Christ by the word desire. It means a strong attraction or impulse. The word is used often in the New Testament for a strong craving or lust for sin. That's how it's used in the negative way. Galatians 5.16, the lust of the flesh. The use of the word in our text here, in the context, it's the positive regarding to be with Christ. So the context is real important. The apostle craved for heaven. Why? Remember, he had been caught up to the third heaven. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5? He speaks about it there. It happened in Acts 14, 19, where God allowed him to be stoned as he was preaching in Lystra. And I'm talking about stone with rocks, not stone with joints or marijuana, okay? That's not how he was caught up to the third heaven, okay? He got stoned, killed, all right? For some of you guys that are still around here from the 60s, okay? Um, there he saw things that were not lawful to be uttered or spoken. The apostle did not even know whether he was in a body or out of a body. So we'll just leave it there. The Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble lest he would be exalted above measure and Satan buffeted him. No wonder Paul wanted to be with Christ. He had been there. Now I don't know what rhubarb pie tastes like. I've heard it's real good. I know what chocolate pie tastes like, cherry and peach, and but rhubarb, I don't know. I don't even crave it. <laughs> Once you've tasted, though, you crave much, much more. See? But even if we haven't been caught up to the third heaven like Paul, the Spirit of God is in us, and He's in heaven, and He groans from within us. See? But once you've tasted... Man, why? Because you know, Paul describes his parting to Christ by the word depart. It means to lose or to untie. The word is used of an, the unmooring of a ship, taking up anchor. I like that. Ready to go on his destiny, his departure. We are said to be pilgrims and sojourners on earth, Hebrews eleven thirteen says. We're just passing through. The word is also used of a tent that's taken down. It's a military term. Our physical bodies, in fact, are described as being tents in 2 Corinthians 5.1. When you go camping and you see a tent, you know they're there for a little while. Two days, three days, one week, two weeks, one month, two months at the most. But they're not there forever. Every time you see a person come into the world, a new baby, you should say, look, he's going to be here camping with us for a while. Because he's not here for long. The minute a baby is born, he begins to die. We're young, we think we're going to live forever, we could die tomorrow. But because we're young and healthy, we think we're going to be here tomorrow. What a deception. Hey, it's a tent. Thank God for the strong tent. But one of these, it's going to tear. And they'll sew it back up. And you'll say, ah, I'm still the same. But then it's going to tear somewhere else. You know, what the, what's going on? And we start making excuses. Well, you know, it's not my fault. Hey, God does it very progressive, very slowly. And he says, I'm going to roll you up one of these days. And by the looks of it, it's going to be pretty soon. <laughs> Paul describing his soon departure to be with Jesus uses the same word. 
The time of my departure is at hand in 2 Timothy 4.6. It was a celebration. It wasn't a bummer. When I go see someone who's dying, I get sad because I'm going to miss them. But I'm joyous because I know what's happening. Notice thirdly, the declaration was that it was, here it is, far better. For whom would it be much better? For the Philippians? No, they would miss Paul. For Paul, it would be better. Why would it be better for Paul? Well, first, because Paul would be instantly present before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. The minute you die, you are instantly present before the Lord. And he says, are your eternal body. You say, well, what about the resurrection? What about it? It's going to happen. Well, what happens there? I'm not sure. There's some relationship. I don't totally understand it. But I do understand that the minute I die, I'm instantly present. You don't go to some waiting place and you pick a number and it says one trillion five hundred million two hundred thousand one. Get in line. <laughs> Nor are you asleep, soul sleep. No, no, no. The minute you die, you're instantly present. There would be no gain to get in line. There would be no gain to go to sleep. The gain is I'm instantly present. But thirdly, because Paul would no longer have this battle of craving, of sin, and fighting against it, and the imperfection of the flesh. I'm done. Now I'm glad I have the Spirit of God to do it. But I'll be done when I leave here. <laughs> but also because he would leave this present evil world influence that mars everything it touches and enter perfection to be just like Jesus. And so there is a grievous aspect while we're here. Though we joy and rejoice in Christ, we are affected. We should never deny our humanity, the reality of this world, but we live above it. Because we know that the sufferings that we are, they're temporal. The things that we see are eternal. Remember that the Philippians were a Roman colony, having all the privileges of Roman citizens, yet they were not in Rome. So the Philippians were a colony of heaven with all the privileges, but they had not arrived. They were not in heaven. What a beautiful illustration. Their longing was for to be in the real heaven. We are God's kingdom. We are the closest illustration of heaven that this world will ever see. This is the worst that we will have, but this is the best that the non-believer will ever have. You see? This is the closest thing to hell you will ever experience. This is the closest thing to heaven the non-believer will ever experience. Because you and I are present. Much like a person who represents a government in a foreign soil. And they're there for years. Or someone who's a refugee, like we just came back from Cuba. And there's Cubans here. They love their country. They have family now. They long for it. They live in America. They're here 10, 15 years. But you know what? Every week they call up. They write. They know what's going on. Because their heart's in Cuba. Their heart's in Mexico. They long to go back, but they can't right now. <laughs> this is Paul. This is you and me. The dilemma to depart and to be with Christ is normal. 
It is not abnormal. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to God and we cry out, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15 and Galatians 4, 6. That is the yearning of the spirit. Nothing wrong with that. The desire to depart is a joyous one. Remember that. Knowing you have fought a good fight, you've finished the race, you've kept the faith, and that Christ alone will reward you. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. I want to get to the end of my life and say, you know, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I finished with joy. No regrets. Oh, I can look back and say I would, I would have done a little different, but no regrets. My, my kids are grown up. And we look back, we have no regrets. Things we could have done differently, we would have done, but no regrets. Because we put Christ first. Are we perfect? No way. But no regrets. That's very important. To live as Christ means to be in a spiritual dilemma. Can you handle that? There's tension. Tension's good though. Third. To live as Christ means to be interested in people. This is the bottom line, people. To be interested in people, verses 24 and 25. Notice first verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. The apostles' priority in life were people. Paul declares that despite what he knows to be better for himself, he was not thinking of himself. That's good. He already told them that he did not care if people were attempting to add hurt to his life by the preaching. All he cared was that Christ was being preached and in that he rejoiced. He in fact was giving evidence that he was putting on the mind of Christ as he will be asking them to do in chapter 2 verse 3. This is a good principle, real simple. Don't ever ask somebody or tell somebody to do something that you're not doing yourself. If you're telling somebody to be faithful to Christ, are you? If you're telling a husband to die to himself and love his wife as Christ the church, are you? Paul never asked anybody, as his Lord, which he first did not do himself. Notice Paul declares that it was more needful for them that he remain. Paul was placing their needs above his own wants. I want, I want, I want. All I need, <laughs> all I want, <laughs> you've seen that bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins? That's the philosophy of the world, the philosophy of an idiot. You ever see a, 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 a hearse hauling a U-Haul behind it? <laughs> now there have been occasions when people have been wanted to be buried and there's this rich man, I forget, who he was, but he had this rich and he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac with a white suit, a big stogie in him. They did. But I tell you what, can't drive in hell. <laughs> Certainly be able to light up his cigar. <laughs> Paul was willing to postpone heaven for a while for the benefit, listen, of the Philippians. You always know when people are serving professionally. They're dentists, doctors. You get an emergency, you call them. And they say, well, you know, I was out the door, but come on in. Paul says, you know what, I'll hang out. But again, he's not making the choice. God is, but he's sure of it. But his attitude, his heart. Paul in Romans declared that he was willing to be a curse for Christ for the Jews in Romans 9.30. He's willing to postpone heaven. He's willing to go to hell. Man, who is this man? 
just like you. It's just like me. If we live in Christ. Again, Paul was not saying that he could choose one or the other. Only that he recognized that living would meet the needs of someone else. Paul was revealing to the Philippians, still ten years after the inception and birth of the church, his shepherd's heart, his passion for God and the people of God. This is where he was at, people. Everybody begins like that. Whether it be in a relationship, whether it be as a father or a mother, whatever it is. The trick is to maintain and increase in life. That fervency, that passion, that commitment. This letter reveals the lack of oneness rather than oneness. He begins by declaring that some were preaching Christ to add to his hurt. Others were adding because they loved Christ or preaching because they loved Christ. He goes on to speak later on that the Philippians were receiving persecution in chapter 1 or verse 27 on down. While others were receiving the persecution through the, because of the love for Christ. Later on, he goes on to speak about the oneness of Christ and their need to be like Him, not centering on themselves. Then later on, he goes to speak about the Judaizers in chapter 3, verse 2, that are in opposition to Christ, and there would be two parties, those who love Christ and Judaizers who do not. And then he finishes off, he goes in chapter 4, verse 2, and he speaks about these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, who are not of the same mind. Throughout this letter, Paul is one with Christ and therefore he's full of joy. And yet all these things are going on that are not in one. But it doesn't affect them because his commitment is oneness to Christ. Notice secondly in verse 25, the apostle's purpose was to help people grow. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul was assured of the purpose of God for this particular time in his life. That he would remain and continue with them all. He was confident in what he was telling them. Very important. The word confidence simply means to be persuaded. The word is used in the perfect participle which indicates Paul's confidence in the matter which had resulted from past actions in turning the matter over to the Lord. And it indicates still maintaining the very same confidence and joy. There's some issues with me and the Lord we don't ever discuss anymore. They've been settled. Paul says, Lord, Lord. He says, Paul, three times. You're out. Don't want to hear about it. No more. My grace is sufficient. All right, Lord. I can handle that. He was certain of the fact, I know. And the word know, oida, means intuitive, settled conviction. The apostle was in fellowship with the Lord. He's told us already about his being there by assignment. Do you know that you are where God has you? Or are you always wondering, I wonder what God... You need to know. You need to be confident. This could only come by and through the Spirit of Jesus that He showed us already in chapter 1, verse 19. You see, Paul's purpose was one with God. And he was aligning himself with what? The will of God. He was interested in their spiritual development and in the faith. He had the heart of God. Heart of a shepherd. 
The word progress means to cut down. It's the very same word that we uh, saw furtherance of the gospel in verse 12. God wants the word of God to go in there and mow your forest. (laughs) He wants to uproot those weeds. But you've got to submit yourself to the word. You can't be a hearer. You've got to be a doer. You've got to die to self. You've got to depend on him. The word is used of a military expedition, as I've told you before when we studied that text, moving on to cut down that force so the army can make an advance. God wants to make an advance in your life through the gospel. And notice the word faith that has the article. The phrase is synonymous with the gospel. The faith is objective truth regarding spiritual truth about God, man, Satan, the things of God. We learn, we grow, we develop, we move on. The scriptures describe various levels of maturity. Little children, young men, fathers. 1 John 2, 12 through 14. One of the places. I hope if you're a child right now, you're growing to be a young man. And I hope you don't stay as a young man. I hope you turn into a father. Move on. Press towards the mark. He's going to talk about pressing towards the mark in chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained, but I press towards the mark. That I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended for. How? Through the power of the resurrection. No other way to do it. No other way. Paul's purpose was that the progress in the faith which should be accomplished by joy. Joy is the virtue of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is agape. Agape, the first virtue, is joy. Joy is not dependent on outward circumstances. Happiness is. Joy is mentioned throughout the letter here, and yet Paul is in prison. But the trials that he's going through, they're term for joy, knowing that it's for the benefit of the people of God through the gospel, through the maturing, through the instruction of God's word, and the people are being saved. And notice lastly in verse 26. Paul's purpose was that people glory in Christ, not him. The result of their growth would cause them to see more and more clear the hand of God on Paul as an instrument and rejoice in him more abundantly. The greatest protection in my life is to feed you, to feed you, to feed you God's word. Because the more you grow, the more you see that I'm being used just as an instrument and that I'm not the Messiah. Rejoicing at times is translated glory and boasting. The perspective was to point people to Jesus, not man. Real simple. The result of his release, he says, and the coming to them would confirm this. And in fact, they would give God glory because he's telling them he's going to be released. He's telling them it's for the benefit of the gospel. So when he gets out and he gets there, God gets more glory. Not Paul. Paul is saying that their grounds for boasting should be Christ, not the instrument. Paul is also saying that God will use people to bring glory to God always. Remember That the way that you know that you're a servant is when people treat you like one and it doesn't bother you. If you're treated like a servant and it bothers you, you're not a servant. Who do you think I am? Thought you were a servant. I guess he was wrong. How many of your decisions are made in view of people's needs, denying yourself? Are you the center of your life instead of Christ? If you are the center of your life, then people are not the focus of your life. Except for when it's beneficial, of course. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Christ is the example. Spirit glory is always directed to God. Not to man. But to Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that it is written. Listen. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, 30 and 31. To live is Christ means to be interested in people. Three simple things this morning, people. First, 
To live as Christ means to be an instrument of God. To be in a spiritual dilemma and to be interested in people. Nothing real heavy, real simple. Let's allow God to deal with our hearts in that. Pastor Xavier Reese and living out your faith and letting your faith impact others as well. Today's message, Christ Our Life, is available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is Christ Our Life. Or you can always just mention today's date. Make your request by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. What's more important, your standing in life or God's glory? Learn more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 